Hello and welcome back to another edition of Aspiration Athletics Podcast. I'm your host, Devin Burnison, and today we're shooting another edition of our guest cast series where we talk with aspiring fitness enthusiasts, professionals, uh, athletes, entrepreneurs, anybody who is aspiring to do more with their pursuits. Today, I'm joined with Lexi Blackburn, who is a graduate from Indiana Tech, a former women's soccer player, and somebody who is aspiring to be a physique competitor. Welcome to the show, Lexi. Hi, thanks for having me. Of course. Is this the first time you've ever done anything like this? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's super exciting. Cool, cool. I'm glad to have you on, and uh, you're one of many guests that I've had on the show, and I'm I'm pretty excited to dive in with you. You're another collegiate athlete that seems to be thematic on our show, and I think that that's uh, a good thing. Um, We haven't had a female athlete on the show, so I'm really excited to talk about your perspective uh, and kind of dive into um, what it's like to be a, a woman in athletics and how it compares to maybe some of the biases that are, are, are in men's athletics as well. So we'll kind of talk about that later on. But um, if you want to start us off uh, with an intro, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, definitely. So first of all, it's super cool that I'm the first female. Um, shout out to first. Um, <laughs> you definitely made a good point, though. That's It's always nice to get it can be a totally different experience just based on your gender. Um, so that's super cool. But my name is Lexi. Like he said, I, I played soccer since I was about five years old, always playing at a super elite level. I mean, I didn't go to high school dances, anything like that, because I was always, you know, elsewhere for club soccer. Um, so it was really my life. I mean, it was my pride and joy and, I was lucky enough to play in college, and now that I'm, you know, a normal person, it's been definitely a shift to go from something literally making up your whole identity to, you know, suddenly you're just without it, so. Oh, yeah, I can imagine. Was was soccer and just athletics in general, like, a, a pressure from family? Like, was the rest of your family athletes, or were you kind of the odd one out? So, I got put in soccer when I was like I said, I think I was four, maybe four or five. And I didn't want to do it. I actually was super shy. And I didn't talk to anyone (laughs) like when I was little. And I had no idea I had an athletic bone in my body, just the thought of doing something like that terrified me. So my dad and my stepmom just signed me up, they coached the first team I was on. And the rest was history. I mean, my dad was also a college athlete, he played football. So I mean, I guess it is kind of, you know, a family thing. And then his His dad and a lot of people in his family have also been, you know, pretty successful athletes. So I was thrown into it, but then it just completely engulfed me. And I was like, wow, I like it. I'm good at it. What? (laughs) So it was that the shift then as you started like gaining more confidence because your skill was increasing? Yeah, I definitely think that was a big thing. Like I said, I was super shy. So I think noticing that I was good at soccer and like scoring a goal and having people cheer you on and having teammates and working with them it completely kind of brought me out of my shell and kind of changed my perspective on a lot of things um definitely for the better in that aspect but then the other side of it is I did get super competitive I was addicted to winning addicted to (laughs) scoring all the goals and being the best so would you say that like maybe you started off uh 
and I think a lot of kids do too, just, you know, the personality types manifest later on mm-hmm. in life. But um, would, you, would you say you were kind of an introvert at the beginning, maybe? Yeah, I would say growing up, especially like, you know, younger elementary school, I was definitely very introverted. I, I still am today, I would say. <laughs> I think I think uh, this global pandemic has made us all a bit introverted. I'm, I'm settling in quite nicely with the fact of a second lockdown, even as unfortunate as it may be mm-hmm. uh, for the for the world. But uh, uh, yeah, I would I would say so for sure. Um, that introverted tendency uh, early on can can kind of limit you from from taking chances and, mm-hmm. and seizing opportunity. But it sounds like you were able to overcome some of that. So talk to me a little bit about that transition from uh, kind of just getting started playing with the idea of, you know, being in a youth league and then taking it to the next level. When when did that shift happen when you took it seriously and what were kind of the parameters um, that, that made it so. Yeah. So with my dad as a coach, <laughs> that obviously was pretty intense. Um, he's a super competitive person just by nature. It for sure runs in our family. So that kind of discipline in taking it serious was kind of just instilled in me in the beginning. Like when you picture youth team, a lot of people think just like signing up for fun and no one really knows what's going on. You just eat orange slices at halftime and like call it a day. But my right. dad, I don't know how he did it, but my dad and my stepmom, they somehow got the most intense rec league team ever. Like all of us took it so serious. We, wow. it was, it was, it was super cool just from the start. So I didn't even have that kind of, I guess, recreational aspect to it. It was always super serious to me. And then I think once I was on the older end of elementary school, Um, my dad and I just kind of had a talk. We kind of saw what other people on the team were doing and he kind of dove into the world of club soccer more and realized it was kind of time for us to make the shift. I mean, a lot of girls on my team did as well. We were destroying every team. We were getting put in, you know, select brackets when we were a rec team. So we kind of, so the expectation was the expectation was really to win, not so much like the typical, like, oh, just go out, have fun, oh, no. participate. <laughs> no, it was definitely to win. Um, we would, you know, listen to pump up stuff. My dad would be preaching to us like we were a men's like 18 year old football team at halftime. And we were like 10 year old girls, but we loved it. That's like, awesome. We, we lived for it. Like it fired us all up so much. So then we kind of kind of all dispersed at the same time. And my dad stepped down from coaching and he was like, there's so there's so much talent on this team. Um my daughter and I were going to go kind of take it further. He had the self-awareness to kind of realize mm-hmm. him being my coach wasn't, you know, going to help me grow any further and right, that I needed to right. be coached by someone else. So, and then, yeah, it was always super competitive for me though. It definitely shaped me today and kind of how determined I am and how much of a go-getter I am. I think a lot of people think I'm crazy because I'm always just indulging in a million things and a million like little side hobbies but I mean I love it and I think that's something that develops over time too and you even mentioned uh, a little bit earlier in the beginning here is you've had to make a lot of sacrifices mm-hmm. now that leads me into my next question you know what were some of those sacrifices that you made to progress to the level that your dad and yourself were, were expecting out of you yeah I definitely think um the social life um, from a very young age all the way up until high school was really impacted. Um, when I was younger, you know, you 
my teammates were kind of my social life and that was fine. And, you know, you're not pressured into going to a bunch of hangouts and stuff. Right. But I think once I really realized it was different was definitely, I would say in high school, you know, I mean, the normal high schoolers going to the football game on Friday night. And fun fact, I've never been to a Friday night football game in high school. So well, you're not missing much. <laughs> that's what I told myself. I still am a pretty firm believer in that. So that's okay. But yeah, I mean, I didn't go just, you know, typical stuff like that, that the quote unquote, typical teenager would do missing a lot of dances, um, not always being able to go to the sleepovers or the parties that my friends were having, because right. I had an early game or, you know, with playing at a higher level, you do play out of state sometimes, or, you know, your games are five hours away, just a normal sure. game, not even a tournament. So I think just social life was a big sacrifice. But I mean, looking back, I wouldn't change a thing because me and my teammates kind of went through that together. You know, we were all at the games and I that bonding with a group like that, that all had, you know, a common goal and a common life path in mind was, you know, way better than going to a crappy high school football game. Yeah. And I think there's something to be said too, for, um, you know, we, we look at some of these normalized things as, as missing out when we don't mm-hmm. get a chance to be a part of it because there is a lot of community aspect in the football games and the, the Friday nights and things like that. But people don't understand in order to get to a point to where you can compete at a college level at any sport, mm-hmm. you have to dedicate yourself to being extraordinary. And, and, and that is missing football games. That's missing hangouts. That's not eating ice cream at 12 p.m., 1 o'clock in the morning yeah. because, you know, you've got to be up to train or to be up to compete the following morning. And that's a huge commitment and a big ask mm-hmm. for a young, not only a young person, but a young lady at that um, where, you know, our social lives are, are very important to us at that age. So, it sounds like you wouldn't change anything, but I'm going to ask you to reconsider. Is there anything that you would change about your experience and uh, in, in how you manage to balance out some of those social aspects of your life? Do you feel like you missed out on anything? Um, there's a small part of me that sometimes wonders if I did miss out on the, you know, a normal high school experience, but... I don't think it was anything that I regret at this point in time. I more so look back at it as, you know, my being going to those five hour games, the car rides with my teammates, my family and all that. Those those memories are some of my favorite memories for sure. So I don't think I missed too much. But I think if I could give my former self advice kind of in the balance realm, I would say soccer, soccer isn't your whole identity. Um, it's a great part of you and you're, you're really good at it and that's great, but you are more than soccer. <sighs> wow. That's really powerful. Um, you know, I, I, and the reason why I asked this is I found myself, uh, having this, a similar conflict, uh, coming out of high school, I didn't have the opportunity to compete collegiately. Um, but coming out of high school, having the aspiration of, of getting, into a program to to compete uh, at a collegiate level and having, um, you know, a resume built up and and putting a lot of my identity into a sport, uh, it can be damning and it can, it can thwart a lot of your progress as an individual. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so I think that all in all, you, you encompass a lot of, of what, how a lot of athletes feel that maybe fall short of getting to that point or even succeed in getting to that point and realizing like, you know, this is still a phase and a portion of your life that's part of the bigger picture. Would you uh, would you agree to that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's it can be a meaningful piece for sure. And it can it can be your favorite memory or a, one of your favorite qualities about yourself. But you can't solely rely on this sport or whatever it is, even if it's a hobby, even if it's something like musical theater or something you did in high school, whatever it may be, you you got to know that this is just a chapter of your life and you can take what you learned in that and like kind of apply it in other areas, but it's not the only thing that defines you. I'll drink to that. (laughs) Absolutely. So let's take a walk down memory lane uh, and indulge a little bit on the life as a female college athlete. Talk to me about what that was like. Yeah, it's um, it was an interesting experience for sure. Um, As far as gender goes, it definitely does shape a lot of your experience. Um, I once, we were introducing ourselves in a lecture hall once, and I was like, they're like, say, if you're on a team or what you do. And I was like, yeah, I'm Lexi, I'm on the women's soccer team. And he told me, oh, that's cool, except I would rather watch someone mow the lawn than ever go to a women's soccer game. And I was like, all right. Your teacher? Yes, I have been told professor? that by a professor what? in front of everyone. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, so. That's terrible. Shame I on know. It, it is really sad. And it's, the, it's that exact attitude, and I'm sure you can agree with this. That exact attitude is the part of the reason why we have such a disparity with women professional sports and, and versus uh, men's professional sports. For sure. I mean, I understand that the men – it, it is kind of the focus in a lot of things. You know, football is huge. I understand that it brings in more revenue a lot of times. That's cool. But it's just having the same base respect for the female athletes. I mean, I played almost all my college games with, God, I, I wish I could give you a number, but I couldn't give you, I, I really can't. So I'll just say nobody there, you know, besides maybe our parents yeah. and a few people yeah. from the men's soccer team that were just, you know, being good friends. But um, you know, we never, even in high school, um, I think my senior year, I drew in a little bit of hype and like, cause we were winning and stuff, but I, it was never something that was celebrated, um, in college and yeah. high school, anything like that. I mean, I've played most of my games with, with nobody there, not a huge student section, no, mm. you know, hype surrounding it, which I mean, that's not why I did it, but I mean, then you go to the men's right. game and it's, there's a theme and there is everyone's there yeah. and all that. Oh my so. goodness. Yeah. And it's, it's really, um, it's a testament to your, your, your mental fortitude for one and doing it for the right reasons too. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I found myself also, uh, I played football and I wrestled and then I got to a point in, in high school where I just decided to wrestle full time and, and make that my main priority sport. And, uh, it was a sport that I, by all respects, nobody cared about, especially at, um, I think you went to Lincoln as well. So, uh, and for, for our listeners out there, Ypsilanti Lincoln Rail Splitters uh, <laughs> is, is the school we're talking about here. Um, but yeah, wrestling is just not a popular sport at all. And then take, take it a step up and be like, okay, you know, you wrestle for Lincoln yeah. where the football team isn't even really doing much of anything anyway. So it was uh it was a really tough spot 
um, coming from uh, where you have crowds of people coming and watching games in a football environment to now an empty gymnasium where uh, you're, you're basically having to cut tons of weight just to show up and try to uh, legally fight somebody <laughs> with nobody, no, no motivate, no external motivators. Yeah. Right. So it's like, you've really got to, you've really got to, um, do, do these things for the right reasons. And for me and for you is what it sounds like is it was, it was part of the bigger picture of, of realizing that instilling in, in progressing in discipline and maturing and, uh, Maybe you don't see those things as clearly when you're in it, but you know, bigger picture, it's, it's building a foundation for your yeah, life. Yeah, definitely. So talk to me about some of the highlights of your college campaign. Um, you played women's soccer all four I years, did. right? Yes, I did play for all. So talk to me about some of those highlight games. Were there any moments that you were – super excited about or that you look back on with rosy lenses right yeah now? so I when I came in I had probably the worst experience that a freshman could have I it was about the first or second week into preseason and I tore my hamstring and so I spent like my first month kind of rehabbing recovering um and just getting stronger again and then I get put into a game the first game back and I absolutely just get taken down and I fracture a rib. <laughs> so oh my I gosh. started off on the worst note. Um, it was super hard as a freshman too, just making that transition from high school where you're the captain, you're the best player, all of that to going in mm-hmm. and you're nothing. Like everyone here was the captain yeah. and the best player on their team. Oh, so man. that, that alone shook my confidence. But um, after I healed from my rib, uh, injury we had a game it was actually in Detroit so my whole family was there for seeing me play for the first time oh, shout, yes, out to Detroit. shout out to Detroit um so it was an away game my whole family was there I was going to get to play for the first time and it was I didn't go I'm a freshman so I'm already not playing that much so I don't think I go in the whole first half and then I finally get put in in the second half it's zero zero and I my first game back my first time going in I think about five minutes after I was in I scored my first collegiate goal in De- yeah, oh, in Detroit with my whole family there, and it was zero to zero. Oh, that's excellent. So it was it was the coolest moment ever, and it kind of it just it obviously meant a lot to me for multiple reasons. I mean, I hadn't scored a goal since high school. I was already feeling down on I myself. This. Just that that shift is so hard going into being a collegiate athlete, but that was a super cool memory. It was just like it was meant to be. Like I remember the ball coming at me, and I knew I was. There's this thing where if once I release the ball off my foot when I'm shooting it, I know when it's going to go in or if it's going to be close to going in. I just, I don't know. It's this weird thing where I know by the way I make contact with it, if it's going to go in or not. And I knew it was going in. So everything slowed down. Like it was literally slow motion. My teammates ran up to me in slow motion. So I would say that's a really fond memory. And then my last game actually, so kind of two extremes, my last game, it was my senior night. My whole family was there. Um, we weren't going to any playoffs or anything like that. So it was like concrete, my last game, no chance of playing again. Um, right. So in 2019, last fall, and we were playing a team that absolutely destroyed us the year before. And it was one-to-one. So we were fighting super hard. And me and my one of my best friends on the team, she was also a senior. 
and we were just itching to have our moment like we were trying so hard we didn't want to tie our last game and I want to say there's about 10 minutes left in the game and I just get the ball at midfield and kind of take my space and I play her she's making the perfect run and I just play her this through ball I just send it in some it goes right in front of her she's one-on-one with the keeper at this point she made a great run and again everything just slowed down and I was like come on just just have it in the side like you can do it and she slots the ball in so I assisted like one of my best friends and then we won our last game ever so it was magical magical. and like those moments you know you remember why you play the sport I mean it's just it's so much fun and it you know it's still fun when you lose but you know not as fun as that it was it was super magical so I would say those are two memories kind of my first year and then comparing it to my last time ever stepping on, you know, the collegiate field, it was it was super cool to have those two, those two moments at times where, you know, they really mattered. For sure. Yeah, that's that sounds really, really like, is there is there film of this? I got to see this moment. <laughs> uh, the first one, I bet you I could text my coach. And I mean, we have game film for every game, I believe. So there should be but I don't know if um our last goal is my senior night was was filmed at all I I would do anything to see it if it was but (laughs) that's so cool though well you've always you're always able to replay it in your mind and that's what I love about those experiences is you truly will never forget those moments uh you play them back over in your head slow motion on replay that's really special Lexi um would you change anything about your your time as a soccer player throughout your campaign in college um, I I would say that I would honestly um this is kind of quite the opposite from high school I would tell I would appreciate it more um I think in college especially it was easy to get annoyed when I had to go to a 5 30 a.m practice and then go to class after or you know, some days I just there, I did not want to go to practice at all. I just wanted to lay down and eat pizza and whatever. But now being an adult, I I can do that literally every day for the rest of my life. If I want to, like, I would, I would give anything to wake up at 4am and go to a weight room with my teammates. So I think just Mm. kind of appreciating it more. Um, I never let it completely slip. You know, I was always super grateful for it. And I always, you know, showed up and tried my best. But I just think that I would tell myself, you know, all these things in college, the parties, the the social aspect of college, I I won't remember all of those small Friday night parties as much as I will remember, you know, just training. And um, I wish I would have, you know, not complained as much maybe because it it really doesn't last forever. And it it flew by like it flew Mm -hmm. by so fast, faster than anything I've ever been a part of. So just to kind of you know bask in the moment a little longer appreciate everything so if any college athletes listening like well it doesn't last forever (laughs) yeah yeah well it sounds like you have been self-aware about kind of just embracing the moment being being aware of the moment and how much Mm -hmm. it means to you Uh, on and and with that you've really grown to appreciate the process and i want to talk to you about um how the day in the life of of your pursuits was as a, mm-hmm. as a soccer player. Um, and then we can kind of draw some comparisons later on about how that 
started developing into your bodybuilding yeah. pursuit. So talk to me about the talk to me about the weight room. Talk to me about the daily schedule for you as an athlete. Yeah, so it definitely depended what time of year it was. If it was our preseason, which um, started about the first week in August, the schedule was very demanding. It was very intense. Um, You would wake up about 5, 6 a.m. You would go to your first practice, which was always pure fitness training, um, runs. You didn't, you know, you wore your tennis shoes. Don't even bring the cleats because you're not putting them on. Um, Just straight running. And then kind of a two, three hour window, eat breakfast, break. And then around noon or one, we would come back and do small sided tactical training on the field. And then is that yeah, like kind of like training? going through cones, ladders, passing kind of finesse stuff, just small, no scrimmaging or anything like that. Just kind of small sided games mixed with fitness, too. Um, and then there was another break. And then we would come back around like five, anywhere from five to seven. And then that was the scrimmage. So for a month of my life, that was that was all I did. It was complete autopilot, just <laughs> wake up, survive, get to this eat, you know, repeat, take an ice bath. And that was that was super intense. But on a more normal basis, kind of like with the school year, it would certain days of the week, uh, we would wake up before class and we would all weight train. Um, we had a super awesome trainer that definitely appreciated women's soccer and you know he lifted he was the trainer for all the guys teams and he took kind of us under his wing and he had nothing but good stuff to say about us he kind of realized the true strength that playing women's soccer does take um he would always mess with the guys about Mm. how you know we could our their squat max was our warm-up and stuff so (laughs) Ooh, I bet that. Yeah, it was on like a sign up. one day when we came in, and we thought it was so funny. I so we would do that before class, which which was super fun. It kind of introduced me to weightlifting a little more. He was definitely, you know, certified and taught us a lot about it. And then kind of go to class for the whole day. Um, that would take up a good portion of my time. Uh, then I did work as well because, like I said, I'm crazy and I do a million things at once. So I always had a job in college. So. I would end class about like lunchtime ish. And then I would go into work and I would go straight from work to practice at like 7 PM. Um, some nights, there's another thing with women's sports. Um, we always were the least favorable time slot to practice. So I know like two years, we started our training at 9 PM. So we trained from nine to 11 because the guys team got the prime spot. So yeah so that was definitely crazy there were some late nights but I I think my last two years it was a pretty solid spot just maybe like a five five to seven ish so trainings were usually like two hours okay yeah yeah much better better, but geez that's that's just ridiculous and that's part of the issue right now with with um uh, from a training perspective and and recovery standpoint is is we're putting so much Mm -hmm. on student athletes and um, the constraints from school. Uh, now, athletes are facing a mm-hmm. global pandemic. Yeah. Great, right? Uh, and then, and then all of these um, assignments that they have to fulfill, whether it's with a group or individual assign. I mean, it's just the list goes on. Um, and then mm-hmm. having to work a job on yeah. top of it—that's a lot. And after, at the end of the day go to your second practice. I mean, yeah, no, it was definitely mentally, physically exhausting in every way possible, but 
how'd you recover? What were you like eating a smorgasbord when you got back? Oh, to the absolutely. Dorms, yes, or, I you know? ate. Yeah. Oh gosh, so much when we were playing, and it's like we had to. Which I mean, now that's something I struggle with. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. just to keep you moving. I, we had to eat so much, and we would especially. Oh, it was the worst when we would practice at nine p.m. It's like, do we eat before because then we're hungry after? Oh. <laughs> uh. Yeah, and then right. you get sick yeah. at practice because you ate too much. Before. Oh, my gosh, that's a terrible dilemma. I have such a problem as well, timing my food mm-hmm. with my training just because, like, I need at least two hours to digest whatever I eat because I have such poor digestion optimization when it comes to my training and I how I too. feel when I train. And it's like if I'm not if, – if I go in and I'm, like, burping and just, like, bloating, oh, yeah. like, I'm going to feel awful. I don't want to lift weights. I don't want to do any of those things. It feels gross. I don't feel right. Um, so is that something that you think that you ran into quite often is like like digestion problems, like issues with your eating patterns because of the uh, crazy practice times? Yeah, I, I definitely think so. I mean, being someone now who is very nutrition conscious and puts a large focus on it, looking mm-hmm. back, I mean, it's it's absolutely nuts. And I mean, we were just doing it to survive. And I realized after soccer was over, I have no sense of kind of like natural hunger cues. It was all very just eat for survival, eat when I can or eat anything I you know possibly yeah. could. Um, so yeah, it definitely was a super weird schedule. My eating was never kind of on a routine. It kind of, And it changed from day to day too, with just the different practices we had or if there was a game that completely changed my eating too, because how I eat before a game is completely different for, yeah, it's, it's so different. And then you're nervous as well. And I, I yeah. can't eat a lot before a game. I just, I can't eat a full meal or anything like that. So, you know, it was planning that. So that, I mean, that's a big shift too, just how you eat when you are an elite level athlete to, to then translating it to oh, living yeah. like a normal life where you, you know, you train, and I do weight training now or even some cardio, but it's like, it's, it's not, it doesn't match the demands of being an athlete. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it's constant go, yeah. go, go as a student athlete. And uh, when we talk about in a conversation about whether these student athletes should start making money off mm-hmm. of merchandise that are, have their names yeah. on it, I'm all for it. Um, there is so much sacrifice on the table. And to say that just the degree in, in the dormitory, uh, um, you know, that they offer for, for campus is just, it's not enough in comparison to what these schools are, are drawing in off of some of these main cash grab sports. Uh, there's no reason why a place like Michigan shouldn't um, offer the same kind of equity and support yeah, I across the agree. board uh with with all of their student athletes um so Mm -hmm. you're interested in weightlifting and lifting weights and it sounds like your time in the strength and conditioning atmosphere of uh your collegiate program was was something that built those foundations talk to me a little bit about what your first day was like uh kind of getting guided through the weight room in college or whenever you had stepped in for the first time and versus how it progressed throughout you building competency yeah i mean that moving your body it's changed so so much it's such a drastic transformation when i first went to weight training in college i had some base knowledge just from stuff i did 
in high school and stuff I did over the summer. But I mean, looking back, it was absolutely nothing. So when I stepped, yeah, when I stepped into right. college, it was, it, it was horrible. I had no form. I had no sense of what muscles I was even working, doing different exercises. Um, I was very weak. Um, and I didn't realize how weak I truly was until I got to college because in high school, I was always one of the strongest. I'm also a taller girl. I'm like five, eight, which isn't that tall, but for, you know, for women, I'm, I do range on the taller side usually. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm always one of the bigger ones. So I always looked more muscular and big, I guess, but I mean, there was nothing there. That's just my natural build. So I think I realized how weak I was. I mean, I could, I could barely move any weight. My muscles were fatiguing. I mean, that's and looking back, it's, you know, why I was so injured, you know, with tearing my hamstrings and stuff. Um, it was, they right. weren't adequate enough. So I think, just, oh gosh, my progress is literally just so nuts. I mean, I did grow just in the weight room. I did learn a lot there, but it really took me having a passion for it outside of it and going home and doing research on my own, just hours of YouTube, hours of reading different, you know, articles and journals and just kind of Mm. even just Instagram was a huge thing for me just seeing what other people do and I didn't even really know bodybuilding and weightlifting was a thing like this I just thought I don't know I was so in the world of sports that I didn't I didn't realize that weightlifting itself is a very big sport so I mean it just it it took a lot I I was so ignorant looking back um with training and how to train I think that especially I find among women that training usually looks something like doing a lot of cardio and then doing some body weight squats and maybe (laughs) some band work, um, which is fine to do. I definitely (laughs) still implement all of those sometimes, but it's more of a, it's more of a warm up to my workout now. So I think just learning what optimal training really is, is was such a big part of it and that to be fit and to build muscle you need you need to do resistance training like getting on a treadmill for 30 minutes isn't Mm. that's not working out well it is but you know what I'm saying like that's not working out (laughs) so yeah well and it's I find that it's for the wrong reasons too and it's funny because I draw a contrast with the mentality and I know this may seem like a reach but the mentality of Women up north, Mm -hmm. uh, being coming from Michigan, I live in Tennessee now. Um, So I'm in the Southern Bible Belt. And it's interesting to to listen to um, women's reason, because uh, we run a gym out here. So I'm working constantly. The base of our our, um, Mm -hmm. clientele is is women. And uh, working with a lot of women right now, their, their reasons for training aren't always, it's not about themselves. It's like, how can I look for my partner or how can I make my husband happy? And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Nobody's at, you don't have to ask for permission Mm -hmm. for anything, you know? So like, there's almost like these stark differences in um, training uh, and and how it's perceived between uh, the Southern states, at least being in Tennessee from what I've noticed anecdotally and versus uh, being up North. Um, would you say that you started out maybe, or or did you always have the, the mindset of (laughs) training to be a badass? I'm training to be functional or was it like, I just want to, you know, have like a bigger butt. With soccer and being a kid, that was always, 
I want to be a badass soccer player. I want to be the best for me. But then I think once I got into college, um, a lot of that kind of shifted and changed. I definitely found myself wanting to work out and wanting to do things to achieve a certain body type that I might have saw on Instagram or to be literally just to be skinny, um, not necessarily even strong, which is a big thing I learned. Um, You know, exterior appearance isn't doesn't always clearly show someone's fitness levels um, at all or how strong you are. So I think that that was a big thing for me was just realizing, you know, you got to want to do this for yourself. So I did have that moment in college where I I didn't that was just to, you know, please other people and please society. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I agree. I've been there myself. And I know, I'm sure a lot of people can attest to that fact. Um, talk to me about what your motivation is. What's your motivation then mm-hmm. versus now? How's it changed? Yeah, so I think that um, then my motivation was very approval based. It was very I'm seeking other people's approval. And I just want to look good. I want to fit in. I want to be skinny. I want to I see these girls on Instagram and, oh, I want to look just like them. Like they look awesome. They have abs and a huge butt and somehow are perfectly proportioned. Like I want that. So that was my big motivation back then. And it really wasn't until I started doing it for myself that I even saw, you know, the physical results I wanted until I started doing it for, for myself. And that was a big shift. Um, I think it came to me just after going to the gym consistently and starting lifting um, and starting actual lifting program. I, this was, this was when I was still in college too. It was towards the end. I realized, wow, I really enjoy doing this. This really makes me feel good. Like it isn't all about approve, getting the approval from other people. Um, It's more so about doing it just for myself. And now my motivation is the farthest thing from, um, from external validation. Um, I post about it a lot on my Instagram and the message that I just try to get across is, you know, everyone wants to be these influencers who in in all reality are completely unrealistic sometimes. And I think that, yeah, you just have to, you have to embrace who you are and you can't do it for anyone else because you're not going to be motivated to truly put in the work and see those results. If it's for, if it's for other people, everything I do now, I do it solely for myself just because I find enjoyment passion and you know I feel like I grow from it so I don't I don't know necessarily what made it click I think it just clicked one day like who I'm the one at the gym like no one else is the one is is here right now like no one I'm the one going to bed at night feeling like feeling horrible about myself because I don't look like these people and it's like who like who cares just you have to you have to love yourself first and I think that's another big part of the motivation too is you can't tell yourself oh I'll be happy once I lose 20 pounds or I'll love myself once I put on 20 pounds you have to be okay with yourself in this moment and then you can start you know working on stuff and working towards your goals it has to be very intrinsic motivation I would say I agree I agree and and I think that's the um for sure one of the biggest things that I try to push onto people early on when they do begin uh their pursuit in their own fitness journeys uh, when they come to me 
seeking guidance is that we've got to do this for the right reasons. Mm -hmm. You know, it can't just be to have a six pack and to have attention from the opposite sex or, um, you know, any of those, those external motivators that are pretty selfish and shallow. Right. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we, we can't allow ourselves to really have that behavior change and that lifestyle change until we recognize how to do it for the right reasons. Um, because that's ultimately what carries you through. And, and that leads me to my next question. What's your why? What's your why? My why is it's simply myself in doing things that light me on fire. Um, I, life is far, far too short to do stuff for other people or to do things that you're not truly passionate about. And I think that there were so many years growing up that I, I put so much pressure on myself to be so perfect and to, you know, reach all these goals. And I, I, I hit some of them, which is great. But my, my why now is to just that confidence that I, I can do something. I mean, I don't, I don't lift now because I get a ton of compliments and people are like, well, you lost so much weight. You look great now, whatever. I lift now because of the feeling of mm. when I go into the gym, the feeling when I leave the gym, the inner peace it brings me, the way I can apply it to other areas of my life and just the way that it, the confidence it instills in me that the gym and fitness and everything about that is me versus me. It's me versus no one else. Um, it's, it's a very, it is kind of a selfish hobby when you look at it like that. But I think that we all need to be a little more selfish in the terms of loving ourselves and doing stuff we're passionate about. So I just, I, I think, yeah, I, I, for sure. And I think selfish can be, take, can take on the wrong connotation. Mm -hmm. Um, you, it, it takes a certain level of investment disproportionately to see these things through. Yeah. And as you're entering, um, a point right now where you're, you're getting ready to pursue, um, your, uh, physique competition. Talk to me about what that's looked like. What has, what has been a driving factor for that pursuit? Yeah. So I, I obviously missed kind of the aspect of competing and doing, um, yeah. doing something like that. So I, I, I debated doing it before and I knew that back then I wasn't doing it for the right reasons. It was more to get super shredded and look a certain way. Whereas mm. now what kind of sparked my interest in doing it again is I feel like I'm in a pretty good place right now. And I want to take, I've done a lot myself and just from self -ed educating and like talking to peers and stuff, but I kind of wanted to take it to that next level and get a coach and really dial in on my nutrition more um, because I realized, and my coach taught me this within the first week that I was in a caloric, um, deficit, deficit. for so long yeah. that I stalled all my progress. So, um, I think when people think of yeah. physique competition, they imagine that you're just, um, eating chicken, rice and broccoli every day, but I'm actually eating more calories than I've ate in the past four years right now, probably. <laughs> Oh yeah, and that's that's something for sure. People get into bodybuilding and they see the uh, the icons of the world, right? Mm -hmm. That are just ma massive genetic 
performance drug taking freaks right Right. like and they get this wrong perception of how for one how that sport is conducted and how they get to that point but two um they don't understand what it requires uh, to, to to even remotely see results in training that are in the line of of hypertrophy from, Mm -hmm. you know, muscle building. And uh, you take on a sport like bodybuilding, you know, where you're judged on your ability to sculpt your body in a desirable way. It's a very judgment, judgment driven sport. Mm -hmm. And you've got to be mentally sound before you enter something like this, because too often um, I see, especially with with uh, women athletes in this particular sport is it really is a mental struggle. I mean, you talk about having um, self-image issues. Well, when you haven't had carbs in a month and you have body dysmorphia, Mm -hmm. you know, and you're shredded as can be, but you don't see yourself that way, that starts to get unhealthy too. So you do have to be in a a better state of mind. It sounds like you've really done a lot of self-analyzing um, to get to a place where you feel confident enough to do this for the right reasons mm-hmm. and to see through, uh, to see it through and, um, to make sure you're putting health first as well. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, it can be super intense and I don't think just anyone should kind of embark on this, this journey. It is a lot of training. It is making certain sacrifices, but, um, luckily I am, with a program and a coach who um, practices flexible dieting, um, understands lifestyle. Um, there's no cutting out of any food groups, anything like that. Good, good. Yeah, they very much, um, she's very much working with me based around kind of the level I'm at right now, which is super awesome. Yeah. And I can be very open with her. Um, and me and her both came to the conclusion that I'm not ready to start cutting down for a show right now. So we haven't even picked out what show I'm going to do. We're actually just reverse dieting right now and getting my calories back up and just training really hard about five days a week. Um, so it's, it's super awesome. I would definitely say if anyone is debating doing it, do your research on who you are signing up with. If you are seeking guidance, which you should also do that um, because it isn't, you don't have to, live some unbearable, miserable life by doing this and cut out all these food groups and do anything crazy and extreme. Obviously, when you're competing and you're in peak week and you're a month out from your first show, no, you're not going to have, you know, as many things of ice cream in a week. You know, you're not going to be able to do (laughs) certain things. But I think if you kind of can work up to that, that's probably the best approach. Um, I wouldn't be competing till sometime in 2021 maybe even a year from now um but it's been it's been fun kind of working on just getting stronger and using progressive overload in the gym and really just seeing how different I feel each week and how you know adding weight and how it's just like changed my body composition I'm not necessarily like I think people expect that the scale to go down sometimes but you know, you can be losing inches, you can be mm. just totally recomping your weight and getting more muscle instead yes. of just being, you know, kind of skinny fat, which is a big thing for me. I'm no one looks at me and thinks, Oh, you're out of shape. But I knew in my head, like, no, I could put more muscle on for sure. So that's been super fun. Oh, yeah. 
Well, and that goes back to what you were saying earlier uh, in the show as well about how, you know, our our body, the way our body looks doesn't always tell us how healthy we Absolutely. are, you know, yeah. our, our fitness level. Um, and I, there, there's comparisons I draw from each sport I've been in, and I'm sure you do the same, uh, about what body type followed. Because you find yourself, and that's just part of training for sports, is it takes on a different shape, a different look, a different feel. Mm-hmm. And uh, I noticed that with bodybuilding, now granted, I had a much more extreme and old school coach. Okay. Uh, everybody who um, was under this person, you know, it was, it was, you do it this way, or you're going to seek somebody else out okay. that's going to work yeah. with you. So he was very, uh, very old school in his approach, worked with a lot of people, had a lot of champions, had his own team and everything. So um, there's a lot of different coaching methods out there. And I do think, ultimately, had I had more of a flexible option, I wouldn't have been uh, kind of pushed out of the sport mm-hmm. in a way. And I, re- I really liked bodybuilding when I was uh, competing um, as a classic physique competitor. I really appreciated the process. I loved the training. Um, but it was like having to do these extreme <sighs> manipulation yeah. of carbs and uh, like – for example, cut, going keto my last month before competition, like, yeah, that's an approach you can take. Was it the best one for me? I don't think yeah. so. Um, you know, I was sacrificing, like, I, I noticed things were happening in my body that weren't supposed to happen mm-hmm. or, or, or could have been avoided. Uh, and, and people don't talk about this a lot, but your... Um, as you get into, and it differs between male and female, but as you get into those closing stages of uh, your prep, you're, you're losing sexual function, mm-hmm. you're losing um, motivation, you're, you're having blood pressure issues. All of those things start to take place, and it can be really mentally tough. And if you don't have a coach that is empathetic enough to listen to some of the and shed light on some of those issues you can really start to go into panic mode Mm -hmm. um and in myself i uh i found myself kind of having um some of those those issues where i'm like man i don't you know am i am i moving in the right direction you know it's like three weeks out from a show am i in the right place so it's good, and I just want to reaffirm what you said, is it's important to have a coach that's going to work with you where you're yeah. at, where you're at, not where, you know, the rest of the team is at uh, based off of the, the drugs they're doing. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, it, all of those things are pushed on you in this kind of um, uh, uh, industry and, and sport. And I, mm-hmm. I, don't know, I don't know how long you've been doing the bodybuilding gig, but have you ever, like, like, it's just weird. Have you had, like, any weird people message you about, like, photo shoots and stuff? Or... <laughs> I, I get a lot of weird things on Instagram, just yeah. being a female oh in gosh. general in fitness. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah, sure. But it's, yeah, I'm sure that's it's the case. Definitely, um, there is, you made a great point. There is a lot of kind of pressures and ways that this sport can twist you. Um Oh it's, my goodness. It seems yes. crazy. Um, I, I think my thing that I told myself, and if I ever stray from it, I will stop doing it, is that 
I don't care about winning. I don't even know if I will ever do more than one show. For me, this might just be a one time and try type thing just to prove to myself I can do it. Um, I don't know if I want to make this my life. I don't know if I want to keep doing it. Um, but I'll never, I'll never not be natural doing it. And I will never change, you know, something about me to be, to be better at it, to have someone else's opinion of me, you know, judges who don't know me. Um, I, I don't really care Well, I could get dead last in my show. You know, that's not a, that's not a huge thing to me. And I think that people can get so caught up in winning and being the best. And as females, like, Oh, look at her. Like, she's getting her lips done. She's getting her boobs done and she wins. Oh, and know. it's like, that's, yeah. that's not really why, if, if that's your goal, I don't think you should be, you know, maybe, maybe take a step well, back. I'm really glad you bring that up. I'm, I'm really glad you affirm that because um, unfortunately that is the ugly truth about women bodybuilding yeah. and, and physique competition is it's over sexualization. Mm-hmm. Um, just by the posing routine of some of these bikini competitors you know, it's kind of like, wh- why aren't they doing a front double bicep? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right. Right. Why are they, why are they bent over? Like that's not, none of those things equate to your aesthetic. It's just sexualizing the poses. And uh, if you're doing it for the wrong reasons, you can easily get caught up in trying to um, fit in or, or, you know, I've got to get a boob job mm-hmm. or I've got to, I've got to get the, the lip job done. And, and then it just turns into you're not even yourself anymore. Yeah. Um, and that pressure is for sure on women a lot more than it is men in the sport. And it's uh it's a tough reality uh, as, as part of the sport. And it only goes back to, again, you've got to really understand what you're going into when you, when you get into something like this and, and do it for the right reasons. And I think it can be a super, rewarding experience i know it's something for me although i don't bodybuild currently and and don't train the same as i did when i was bodybuilding it's something i'll never forget it was unique it was hard it took 18 weeks of my life to prepare for and it was such drastic change that i never thought i'd be able to to see in my body um it's incredible and it's a journey that i think people really should try to embrace at some point in their life for the right yeah. reasons. But when, as soon as you go in and you're like, Hey, I want to be like Ronnie Coleman yeah. or, you know, X, Y, and Z, you're going to set yourself up for, for mm-hmm. failure. And, uh, you're never going to have enough. It's never going to be enough. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, it's like anything else you do. If you start doing it for the money or for the tangibles, it doesn't yeah. hold up. There's no, there's no value in it, uh, to keep you in the game. So talk to me about, you mentioned music. You get yeah. hype before you mm-hmm. lift, yes. right? Talk to me about your number one song. What's <laughs> the song that gets your blood flowing, ready to hit a crazy oh leg? Oh my goodness. Day? Okay, so everyone needs to follow me on Spotify because I will get you PRs with my playlist, I promise you. <laughs> Ooh, drop the I Spotify, will drop the Spotify. Um, I listen <laughs> I love listening to um, EDM, so I'm I love okay. listening to dubstep. So the real crazy music. I know it's not for everyone, but if you if anyone is gonna work out, type in the Lost Lands 2019 mm. mix, um, and it's about an hour long. It's um 
kind of the live set that was performed at this festival. And it is you, I don't even touch my phone the whole time. It's perfect for a super heavy leg day. It gets me insanely pumped up in the car. I look crazy. Sometimes I'm like dancing in between sets. So just try out EDM. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to give that a listen. I actually started listening to house mm, music yeah. uh, within the last couple of months. I don't know how close that is to EDM. EDM is house. Yes, in, it uh... is. It is. Yes. Oh, it is? Um, Oh, well, I guess I'm one of yeah, those you people. Yeah, you listen to EDM. I didn't know. I didn't. <laughs> Self-actualization right there. Something I didn't even know about <laughs> myself. But yeah, I really, um, I, I've noticed that with with younger people, uh, myself and, and you included, we tend to, to really embrace house and EDM and some of these more beat-oriented music. Yeah. Uh, and that to me is like, even if I listen to hip-hop or rap, I'm really not listening for the no, artist. I'm listening absolutely. for the beat. Yeah. You know, and I think that's why trap is kind of appealing to um, not only myself, but, but a lot of other uh, demographics out there is it's just kind of the beats, yeah. right? Those 808s mm-hmm. hitting. Um, <laughs> so Lost Lands uh, mix yes, 2019. Everyone check right? it out. We'll <laughs> definitely have to check that out. Uh, so talk to me about your favorite exercise or maybe top three? Okay, so it definitely changes from month to month or kind of even week to week sometimes. But I, I go through phases where I love and hate leg day. Um, I'm either obsessed with it or I would rather stand in an acid rainstorm than do it. But I would say right now I'm I'm actually really digging leg day. I'm really into sumo deadlifts right now. Um, I think my like mind to muscle connection on them is just really good right now. And I think when you have that on any lift, it becomes so addicting when you're like, wow, it's working. Um, <laughs> and oh, then yeah. also um, dumbbell RDLs. Those two have been my absolute favorite. I can just totally, totally feel my glutes and my hamstrings engaging while I do it. Two deadlift exercises. <laughs> that's, that's not typical. You, you got two pull exercises. All right, all right. Here. What's a, what's a nice push <laughs> like? um, And then I also really liked, let me think, let me think. Arm day has been pretty cool. I've, I've been into Arnold pressing and like some shoulder pressing for sure. Okay. My shoulders are very prominent and they're just an area where I feel like I can target them so easily. Like they take over sometimes on other lifts when they're not supposed to. So I really do enjoy kind of overhead pressing movements as well, just because I feel super strong when I'm doing them. I feel like people always... I'll grab like the thirties and I'll feel like so cool with them. <laughs> yeah, so I, and everyone's always surprised that I'm like pressing them. So it's always fun. You got to feel good when you're just, you're out there flexing on some of these little skinny dweeby no, guys yeah. in there that are it, in it cells. For sure. Yeah. The same, the same guys that like judge <laughs> the girls that lift you like, Oh, I don't like bulky girls. And it's like, okay, I could. Oh, I know. Like, you. Get out of here. So I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, as we're closing out today, talk to me about uh, what your your maybe one or two of your, your main fitness influences are. Maybe they're from Instagram. Maybe you watch them on YouTube. Is there anybody you model uh, your your yeah. work ethic, your training? Yeah, so I, I would say that a big fitness influencer for me is um, this one isn't I don't directly re- relate to him because it is a guy. Um, he actually his name is I'm not sure if you know who it is Paul Ravella. 
Mm, no, I don't. You'll have yeah, to send so that to he, me later. Yeah, so he, I found him really on YouTube, curious. and he actually, like, runs the, the like, team I'm competing with right now. Like, I signed up for coaching under one of his workers. Um, it's called Pro Fit Team Pro oh, Physique. Um, I just really like how he uses his platform and informs people. Obviously, I don't want to look like him, but I just think his message and his way of flexible dieting and, like, living you know he's a dad he's married so he balances life with Mm. being a competitor and teaching others how to compete as well so I just think that's a really good message in fitness and then one that I can more relate to that is more kind of what I strive to not be but you know she inspires me to kind of be my own person her name is Natalie Bailey um I believe her Instagram is Nat B Fit or something like that. But she she started off posting okay. workouts and they were really good, really informative. I followed her workouts for the longest time and she kind of translated her page into more of a wellness page and a page that focuses on mental health the same amount she focuses on fitness. Mm. Um, and I think that's really cool. And she's able to, at this point in her journey, she, she totally intuitive eats. So she, you know, she's built all the good habits over the years and now she just lives a very sustainable lifestyle where she's lifting she's fit she's getting in the gym or home gym whatever it is because of corona but she she kind of preaches a really good message of balance and how you can't be physically fit if your mind is not you know up to par and I'm a psychology I have a psychology degree so it really resonates with me so that's something I'm into as well yeah I I can't say enough how much I appreciate um, your perspective, and I'm sure many other people, not just women, feel this way. It is so much more, ladies Mm -hmm. and gentlemen, than just being a solid body, okay, or just being a bulky, uh, vascular guy that's got a set of at. Like, it is so much more than that as a fitness professional, somebody who's coaching. It is so much more than that. People are not just going to come to you. And this, and the only reason I mentioned this, this seems to be the notion that a lot of um, people in, in, in programs like sport performance, fitness entrepreneurship at universities go in with the, act, uh, the expectation thinking, mm-hmm. I need to be the best athlete. I need to be the strongest guy. I need to be the biggest guy in order to get people interested in training with me. And it really comes down to what you value in uh, your training philosophy outside of just doing yeah. the work, right? Like, how does that how does that tie in yeah. with your life balance? How does that tie in with how you treat your your wife and your child? You know, I mean, these are all bigger picture issues that go outside of just how can I increase my bench press or how can I get my shoulder caps to grow more proportionately? And when we're looking at holistic training and how it fits in with our lifestyle, we have to understand we don't have some of the luxuries that maybe um, professional athletes do that we dedicate our entire life to this one mission of being just a bodybuilder. We've got to identify with Mm -hmm. multiple hats and and, and life constraints, you know, that Western society brings and how we can get that to fit with our lifestyle so that we're not disproportionately investing too much time into fitness and then how it takes a toll on our family or Mm -hmm. people around us. Um, So I just can't affirm enough how much that means to me as a coach and a trainer who's, who's done 
bodybuilding and powerlifting and been into, you know, all of those, like what would be desirable sports under the impression of this is how I'm going to get clients. If I'm this shredded, or if Mm -hmm. I look like this, uh, those were all expectations I had for myself early on. And it wasn't until I embraced balance and intuitive eating and training and how it fit with my lifestyle and getting people to see that you can do all of those things. Um, it wasn't until that happened that I really started feeling comfortable with myself yeah. and my body and what it can do, but also mm-hmm. how I can help. Yeah, that's people. super cool. So just big, big lessons. And uh, I think for sure you attesting to that can, can shed a lot of insight as to how we should look at our coaches or our trainers and what they can do for us outside of just building a better body or building better. Yeah, yeah, it's it's so much more than that, for sure. So ending us off today, Lexi, um, could you share a tip or maybe something to end off with that (laughs) a young lady out there uh, can take with them and whatever they're trying to pursue in the lines of fitness, sport, entrepreneurship, business. Yeah, I would say my main piece of advice to literally anyone, um, especially women out there is live your own truth. Don't feel like you need to fit some mold. Um, Don't be what society wants you to be, or what they're pushing down your throat to be just be yourself and know that you can achieve what you set out to stop comparing yourself to other people. Um, We all are you know, put on this earth to go through very different journeys. And that's what truly makes us special is our individualism. So embrace that. Um, Girls don't, you know, let people, men (laughs) tell you you're not capable of something (laughs) Um, just because you're female. I think that goes without saying, I think it's uh, people are starting to progress more and see how capable, you know, women are. So that's awesome. But just just stay true to who you are. Balance is key. Um, and owning yourself is a super big part of life. And you're never going to be happy when you look in the mirror. Um, you know, if you don't truly do things and live for yourself. Mm, well said. And don't forget to smash the <laughs> Patreon. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much for joining us on our guest cast edition. And for our listeners out there, we are running listener support. So if you enjoy the podcast episode, and if you've had a chance to listen to any of our other podcasts, go ahead and drop a donation. If not, share with a friend, like the podcast, and we hope to have you listen again thank soon. You. Thanks thank again, you so much Lexi. for having me. It was so much fun. Of course. Yeah, I'll definitely follow up with you about uh, the physique competition and check in with you once uh, things are said and done here. All right. Thanks for coming on. Yep, you as well. Have a good weekend. Bye-bye.